Hey, welcome back. Two different partnerships have made today's show possible. Athleticgreens.com slash surf and realwatersports.com slash podcast. We've been talking about Athletic Greens a lot on The Grit and on Spit, and you may have even heard Tim Ferriss talking about the company over the years. Um, I think I first heard about them on his show probably five or seven years ago, somewhere in that range. Anyways, Athletic Greens is an epic company. Now that I've been able to work with them, I can say that. Uh, Not only an epic product, but the product itself is a whole food sourced powder. It's an all-in-one that you simply add to water and you drink it daily. It makes it super simple, super fast, so that you can do it while you're traveling. You can do it at work. I mostly do it at work. Uh, Occasionally, I even do it in the car. Just add it to the water bottle, shake it up. They ship you the powder monthly, so you don't have to worry about um, remembering to pick it up at the store, or you don't even have to worry about remembering to reorder it. It's automatic, which I think is really the key to maintaining any health routine in any way. Automatic makes you more successful, and they are now a big supporter of our work. So I'm thrilled with the partnership, and it seems like they're really starting to make inroads into surfing. I've seen their advertisements during um, a recent WSL event uh, on the YouTube stream. So congrats to them, and uh, we would love for you to get in on this. And you can support us and kind of do one easy and big thing for your ongoing health by signing up at athleticgreens.com surf. That slash surf lets them know that you heard about them here. So athleticgreens.com slash surf. And then Real Water Sports is our new retail surf shop partner. To kick off the partnership, they are letting you pick any surfboard from their inventory to win for free. There is no purchase necessary. There are no gimmicks, nothing funny. You don't have to be a podcast supporter uh, of us like with our other surfboard giveaways. All that you have to do here is go to realwatersports.com slash podcast to sign up. That is it. On October 5th, they're going to pick one person among the names of those who signed up, and that person gets to pick any board from their inventory and receive it for free. Totally crazy. So thanks to them, and keep them in mind for your next surfboard purchase. They've really cracked the code for shipping. They ship 1,000 boards a year, over 1,000 boards a year, fully insured. The shipping is just one low flat rate, and their board prices are also super competitive. So you can have that board shipped to your door for less than you are accustomed to paying. You could also have it shipped to your work. You could have it shipped to a boat in Indo even. It's a true story. They've actually done that. So uh, it's a pretty epic program. They're killing it. They've been in business for 20 years, and we're thrilled to be partnered with them. So realwatersports.com slash podcast. Thank you hugely. And of course, athleticgreens.com slash surf. Thank you. And to you, the listener, huge thanks. All right, on to today's show. Now I'm waking at the crack of dawn. Send a little money home from here to the moon. It's rising like a discotheque. Andrew Cotton, the professional plumber and professional surfer from Southwest England, now full-time surfer, thankfully, is our guest today. If you've followed big wave surfing at all over the past decade, you are likely familiar with Andrew. 
He's been in various WSL, BWT events. He's had various entries into the XXL awards. He's a Red Bull athlete. But for myself, uh, despite having an awareness of his ubiquity in big waves around the world ever since I started this podcast, I never really had a sense of who Andrew was. I hadn't seen him profiled very much. And when I did, he always seemed mild-mannered and perhaps even shied away from the spotlight a bit. But whenever there was a swell event that made news anywhere in the world, there he was again, vying for the biggest wave of the day. So it should have been no surprise when I started watching the recent HBO documentary series, 100 Foot Wave, and Andrew was one of the key characters. The series is centered around Garrett McNamara and it follows his exploits around Nazare, Portugal, as he attempts to find first and then ride a 100 foot wave. Midway through episode one, they introduce Andrew, who would go on to play a super important role in Garrett's career, often serving as partners at Nazare in training and towing and just kind of as confidants. But episode one shares Andrew's origin story his contest run as a Grom through England, partnering with Almeny to search Ireland for giant waves. Throughout this six episode series, I grew rather fond of Andrew, of his work ethic, his outlook, and his steadfastness to do all of this without really any professional incentive. You really do get the sense that Andrew would still be doing all of this and working as a plumber back home without any cameras, awards, accolades. So I was really eager and then of course grateful to chat with Andrew to unpack some of this. And um, just as a quick note to illustrate kind of how cool and special this little podcast community is, one of our longtime listeners is a friend of Andrew's and he is the reason why this conversation is happening today. He actually suggested that I have this conversation years ago and uh, back then I agreed to do it. I just never followed through. I must've got busy. I don't exactly remember why because I knew who Andrew was back then. But anyways, he prompted me yet again recently, and of course I realized then, of course, that the timing with 100 Foot Wave is perfect. So thank you, Ian Blake, and without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with professional surfer Andrew Cotton. Firstly, congrats on 100 foot wave. Thanks. It's 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 it's, bit, it's, it's not only my it's Garrett's thing. It's like you know, it's it's, his... it's a huge thing, and you're a huge part of it. So oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's kind of funny because it's not out. It's not out in the UK. So it's um, so. Are they just waiting to release it, or how does that work? I, I don't know. I don't know. I was sort of uh, like I. I was literally like watching the episodes as they dropped. So um, in the States, so I was sort of, I didn't know how much I was going to be in it, how much I was involved. Um, like Garrett's been working on the project for so long and um, you know, he, he, just getting it onto such a big platform like that is just, it's insane on his part. So, you know? so how are you able to watch them as they drop if it's not available there? 
Um, I've been getting sent links. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, as they come out. Well, my impression of you from the documentary is that you're humble, mild-mannered, soft-spoken, almost the opposite of Garrett in those ways. <laughs> and so, so it's so on brand for me to say congrats on the doc and for you to go, I had nothing to do with that. That's not my thing. I'm not involved in that. When you're like in every single episode for 20 minutes an episode, basically. Yeah, no, well, I don't know. But yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, it's great, it's great to be part of it. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm stoked that there's people, it's, it's been had, like I've had a lot of messages and sort of people saying they're digging it. And it's kind of, it's always a worry, isn't it? When stuff is going, surfing wise is going on the mainstream, like, is it ever going to be that good? Yeah. Was it? What do you What do you think? Well, I think it, like from what I from what I've seen of it, you know, and, and you know, one likes watching themselves on TV. Yeah. But I was like, so, but I was thought it was probably it was surfing done pretty well on TV. I was pretty stoked. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's actually kind of cool. Like they've actually hit there's some good t- points and good topics. They've got good people on there. Um, you know, and the action footage like is cut with the you know some of the best bits. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah, it's good. I think it's the best thing that we've seen about surfing on mainstream TV, maybe ever. Yeah, yeah, I think you, yeah, I don't know if ever, but yeah, well, like, I, I mean, can't, I can't think of a of a better one. I mean, the Hollywood films that have come out, I've never been that keen on. Uh, I guess what I liked or what I thought the strength of this was, was um, the storytelling. Like they just excavated the story about how Nazare, you know, how it even became a surfable wave. That was super fascinating. And I've never seen that story in surfing before. Like Mm -hmm. most people are trying to conceal the wave that they find. This was one where they found this wave and then invited everybody to come and exploit it. So that, that was unique. And then the individual characters, yourself included, I thought the filmmakers did a fantastic job excavating. Yeah. But you know, it is. And then, you know, but those guys, you know, um, you know, Joe Lewis and Chris Smith, you know, they're the best guys in the industry, I suppose, aren't they? You know, so if they were, but they neither of them surf. So from a surfing Would, point of view, it's always a worry. Like you're like, oh no, they're going to get, you know, like you sort of, you, you know, you, you sign the release forms before you see anything. You're like, shit, you know, is this going to be? How am I going to be portrayed? Or you know, is it going to be really bad? Or yeah, I think if they. I think if um, it's almost a benefit if they don't surf, if it's a documentary, if they don't surf and they're trying to make a scripted Hollywood film, then that's a problem. But yeah. for this, for this, it's almost better to have like a un, like somebody who's just focused on storytelling. If they just know yeah. how to tell story, that's what's important. And uh, do you know what? I th- what I thought was interesting is that um, you kind of forget, like Garrett. Garrett's still, you know, I don't know how old Garrett's now, like 54 or, you know, 54 or something. But, like, you think back and you just remember Garrett for, like, the stuff he's in at Nazare. And then, like, actually, when you start watching it, it's like, whoa, like, you know, he was so well-established and accomplished before he even got to Nazare. Right. <laughs> Which I think a lot of people forget, you know? Well, he's, and, had, an, he's had an interesting career in that way. Yeah. yeah. It's, 
we didn't, I don't know that we even forgot it. I don't, I think that we were just not ever really paying attention during those years, you know, Mm. like the surf media, the three or four, you know, magazines that existed at that time, for whatever reason, didn't acknowledge a lot of what he was doing through a lot of those years. No, I think, but Garrett was just, you know, which is why I can't, like, I, I love him so much now. He's like, he doesn't really, he's doing this thing, he doesn't really care, you know? <laughs> like, right. I think that's what, it, it took someone like Garrett to go to Nazareth and do it regardless, because I think a lot of other, um, you know, like, I think it says in, in the documentary, you know, like, they had reached out to other surfers. Yeah. You know, and even in those first couple of years where like, the surf media was sort of, you know, not dissing it, but not really giving it its props, you know, like yeah. like how gnarly it was. And most people would have like walked away, whereas Garrett, like, you know, kept going, you know, <laughs> like he saw potential, he knew how, how how big it can get and how gnarly it was and, and kept going, you know. So it definitely does take someone like him to do, you know, to do that job or do, you know, do what he did. So. What's interesting about it is he... So yeah, he was going to do that regardless of the surf industry's acknowledgement, but he also found out a biz- how to make a living outside of the surf industry. And so now as the surf industry has imploded and not just now, but like since 2008, really, you know, like mm. phenomenal free or phenomenal uh, competitive and free surfers, Clay Marzos of the world, guys like that lost their sponsor- sponsorships a decade ago. Garrett is all subverted all of that. And the magazines went away. Garrett subverted that. Like he's kind of created this thing to where he can exist outside the surf world. And now through HBO, even get more acknowledgement than the surf magazines could have ever given to Clay Marzo or any of those other surfers. Yeah. Yeah. I I think as surfers, we're so like involved in our little bubble like totally. you know for us like surfing is like the biggest thing ever but actually really it's not <laughs> like nobody <laughs> cares about it you know like and i think that's the thing they're like and gap you know garrett saw that you know we're like yeah. yeah we're involved in this little bubble but really actually you know like take a bigger look and you know, there's so much more um you know so much more opportunities outside of surfing you know there really are um so yeah well i want to one final thing about the documentary was I really liked seeing your parents in the doc and uh, the storyline for listeners who haven't watched it is kind of that your parents or your dad probably specifically didn't see surfing as a viable career path. So he wanted you to follow in his trade. Um, have they come around to the idea yet of professional surfing? <laughs> um, well, no, well, professional surfing isn't a, a viable career, is it? Let's face it. But <laughs> Um, <clears throat> and no, it wasn't like my, my dad, my dad's actually was actually a policeman, but, um, oh, okay. he, he, but he, his thing was like, he knew I was never going to become a policeman. Um, that was blatantly obvious, but, um, he, yeah, his thing is I needed to get a trade to like support myself. So, which I did, I did, I, you know, I ticked the box. You know, right. So. But do they still see surfing as an option or is it just a temporary thing? Um, I don't know, really. I still think, well, I think like for my dad, it's like, you know, well, as long as you've got a trade, everything's all right. You know, you can fall okay. back on your trade. You know, like, so, so as long as, and I think that was always the thing, you know, like, yeah, you can, you know, do, do whatever you want, but as long as you've got a trade, which I kind of get, you know, like, 
it's it's nice to have a trade behind you, you know, or like some sort of, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just in case it all goes, you know, south. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about your background, where you grew up and what is the surf like around there and what's the town like? What do people do for work? Um, so I grew up in um, North Devon. So it's the southwest of England. Um, the the sort of town, it's a village. Um, it's, the main village is Braunton, which has like a few surf shops. It's a bit of a surf community. It's like seasonal. Um, we rely heavily on tourism. Um, the main beaches, uh, which are also like small villages, uh, are Croyd, Saunton, Woolacombe. Um, we get surf a lot you know get surf like a lot of surf it's just not that good but it's quite consistent well okay. it's been quite a flat summer so it's great for learning to surf it's probably one of the, like like it's great to learn to surf um loads of surf schools here loads of surf shops um campsites you know airbnbs that sort of stuff you know so it's pretty pretty touristy um it's a, it's a great it was a great place to, to grow up really really you know fortunate what are what are the water temperatures like? Is it cold um, pretty much year round? No, it's not. So uh, we get the Gulf Stream. Um, so the water now is eighteen degrees, I'd guess. You know, like a three-two summer suit's fine. Um, in the winter, it does drop quite quickly, but it's, it's usually like the air temperatures. Like in the winter, I'm wearing like a five-four boots, gloves. Um, you know. Yeah, it's not, it's just, it's cold, but it's not, it's bearable. Yeah. It's bearable. Gotcha. Um, how were you introduced to surfing, considering that your parents weren't into it? Um, I think, well, my dad bought me a surfboard. Like, so, so we lived, um, like, closer on the south coast of Devon. Um, and I was, we, we lived inland a little bit. And then we moved back to where my dad grew up when I was about eight. Um so we moved to the North Coast and my dad bought me a surfboard just to sort of like, it was like, I think I was pretty sad to be leaving, you know, nine years old, moving, like leaving the area, moving, like making new friends. And he, he bought me a surfboard and, and um, just took me down the beach. And it was very much, uh, you know, bought me a board, rented a wetsuit. He sat in the car, read his paper. And I sort of like just played around in the sea, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. And that was it was just a weekend thing, you know. Like we do, we did a couple of Sundays, and then um, yeah, just like fully got addicted from there. Really. What was your exposure to the surf world or the surf industry? Did you have access to magazines <clears throat> and surf videos and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, like you know, you, you get the videos to buy from. Um, the surf shop because we had some surf shops here right you know locally yeah. um so the mag magazine surf shops you know they're that they're you know it always comes out a month later but you know surfing life was massive it was the, the big one when i australian surfing life was huge when i always thought get that um surfing surfer and yeah like whenever the, the videos came out you know, I remember on... the first video i got i think was sick joy yep um 
So yeah, so that was it. it was Amer- yeah. American and uh, Australian surf media essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there were like there were there there were and there are still are like uh, British surf magazines. There's Carf Surf Magazine, yeah, which is like a British mag, um, which you know has been going for years. And another one called Wavelength, which is, is another British magazine, you know. Um, but but the, it was always like, you know, the Aussies and the Americans, like, you know, that's where you got your, your fill, you know. <laughs> right. So were there any examples of English or British surfers um, who had actually made it on, onto the world ranks at that point? Uh, I mean, like, was there any ambition of a career path for you to follow from that age well well i think yeah, maybe like in my early 20s like russell winter was a uh, was on tour briefly and he was doing like um the qs but there was also like a good european and, and british surfing yeah like there was a contest like a i think it's called the bpsa british surfing tour which went around the uk doing stops um and that you know like competitive surfing was always like okay well like I, and, and my local beach has a really good surf club as well like and they always held contests and that there's a competitive drive there um and i think that was always like okay right like i love surfing i want to do it as much as possible i need to be good at contests and so you know you, you I naturally like got involved in that um not that i did really did it any ever good like I didn't ever do any good like I think yeah. I you know a couple of heats maybe but it was more just the banter and, and the good you know you go it's just good good banter and hanging out watching one surf and uh, more of a social really but um mm-hmm. yeah so when was your when did you get introduced to big waves because again that's something that you don't have immediate access to I I'm I'm asking I mean for obvious reasons but also because I were similar age and I don't have any big waves around. I have zero interest in surfing big waves. Even when I watch people and when it started becoming a thing in surf media, it was like, I don't relate to that in any way, shape or form. What I'm doing at Huntington and Newport beach isn't <laughs> that. And so the idea of you having to like travel to a different country to go pursue it. And in that other country, Ireland, it wasn't like there was a yeah. scene of people surfing that. No, like, so when I left school, um, uh, like I, I definitely was done with school and I wasn't particularly good at school and I, I, and I ended up working in a surfboard factory um, locally. Which one, by the way? It's called Gulfstream Surfboards. Again, yeah. going, they make Yeah, yeah. Surfboards. I was going to ask you if it's in that area. Is it, is it in Bronson? No, it's in Willacombe. They, got a shop, okay. they, had a shop okay. in, they had a shop in Bronson, but they had a factory in Willacombe, um, which is perfect. So I could like, cycle or rent, ride my moped to the factory I used to I, I did everything there really like from sleep sweeping the floor dinger pairs and then started what's grass it, and stuff what, what's and, his name is his name Julian Jules yeah Julian Matthews Jules right okay yeah. I met him I visited that shop um geez I don't know when that was 2017 maybe no and way yeah yeah his boards he makes insane boards dude yeah like beautiful beautiful stuff yeah, they are. They are really beautiful. He, he's like he's a you know proper craftsman. Like he, you know, he loves it. Lives and breathes, you know, quality. You know, like that's high, super high quality. Yeah. yeah. And so, is he doing well? 
Um, yeah, like, like, so I, I, when did I start there? Oh, a long time ago. But, <laughs> uh, so at first we were just doing the numbers, like we, we were making a lots of boards. Um, and then I think now more recently he, he's does less, but like higher quality, like does like yeah. really, um, interesting, like, uh, quads and twin fins and mouths and, you know, like just, just the higher end stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah. when I was working there, we were doing a bit of that, but we were doing more like mini mouths and short boards and sort of, it was like, well, I think we were making, I was glassing about six boards a day, you know, and we were quite, it's quite a small factory. So it was like pretty, you know, pretty busy. Yeah. Um, but, but the great thing about working in the surf board factory was that it was obviously seasonal, pretty seasonal. So, um, and there was no time schedule. So, like, like any surfer dreams of having it's like if the waves were good the day was based around low tide like the waves are good at low tide deployed so you can surf so we surf i surfed a lot so from the ages of leaving school at like 16 um when i was where i worked in the surf factory until i was 25 and i pretty much surfed every time there was waves in in north devon i surfed and then we would travel a lot together as a team um so for like January, February, March, every year we'd go away. Um, and we'd often go away with like, you know, a week here and a week there, for, you know, um, you know, either in Europe or, or further afield. But it enabled me to, I think I did like my time I was 20, I'd done a couple of winters in Hawaii and, okay. um, and I'd done like been in West Oz once. And, like, and, and I think that's where I sort of really got my, like I found my I don't know like like I was, wasn't that good at doing airs or tricks or like you know that competition format stuff yeah. but like do it going on those trips and you sort of like oh yeah but I kind of I can't do that but I can do this and I was like pretty good at like paddling in and going straight but <laughs> but you know but on bigger waves you know right so yeah, so that's where I found my sort of like niche and my pattern. You know, I, I loved it, you know. So. But even then, was there a viable career path to pursue no. in that? Yeah. Okay. No, no, big, 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 big wave surfing wasn't a, a job. You know, it was just like some guys did it. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I suppose, but Garrett must be one of the first guys to make it a career, maybe. I don't know. Like, who, I, who else but I don't think it? he like, was, I don't think he was making a career off paddling in and going straight necessarily. He was still trying to surf backdoor. You know, yeah. like that's where he, any sales pitch to a sponsor was going to be about him getting a shot at backdoor. It wasn't going to be yeah. about him on a big wave. But, yeah. um, so did you ever consider leaving England to live elsewhere? Um, cause honestly, that seems like the big kind of hurdle in the, in yeah. the professional surf career. Yeah. Like. But I never really saw it as a, as a job. So for me, like, I was always like, okay, right, if I can leave England in the winter, I can work, like, I can come back, I can work here, I can, you know, either, like, I had my family network, so I had a place to live. Yeah. Um, or, you know, base uh, and support network. And as long as I could leave in the winter, then, I'm, like, it's you know, you don't feel too trapped, <laughs> right? you know, and you can get yourself. And, and there is like, it's cut, like, although the ways aren't world class, like you can surf and you can train. Um, 
uh, here, you know, so I didn't think, so yeah, I never really thought about leaving all the time. And even now, like, like I could easily, you know, I could, you know, live anywhere, I could move to Portugal, but I kind of like, I kind of like England, you know, like, yeah, it's good for, for a bit, you know, not, not all the time, yeah. <laughs> but like, it's nice to be here and I've had a really fun summer and, you know, the waves have been kind of small, but it's been great weather. I've been foiling those and paddling and, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, well, if you, you know, if you've been to Braunton yourself, like you, you yeah. know, must know, you know how you know, it's a nice place to, to hang out. You know? like, it is. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel about Southern California too. It's like, I don't want to be here year round. And if I could travel throughout the year, that at least quells my desire for that kind of adventure, but it's so dang convenient. Like I have, yeah. if I'm here, I have access to everything and the weather's amazing. You know, every type of grocery store, every type of restaurant, and that's just convenient. It's kind of like yeah. I become accustomed to it. And, and if you think about it, like England, like for me, especially now, like it's, although there's no big waves or like in England, um, it's in the middle, like it's a good hub like it's quick to get to Ireland. It's quick to fly yeah. to Portugal. I can fly to Madeira. I can go to the Azores. I can, you know, it's quick access to, if I want to go further afield. So it's actually quite a good place to be based. Um, yeah, totally. And there is good ways. Like if, if you, you know, if, if I wanted to, like this next week, I'm just looking at the chart. It's probably the first sort of swell we've had of, of the, the autumn. And, you know, it looks like there'll be amazing waves in Scotland. There's going to be some fun waves here at home. Um, you know, yeah, there is. I don't want to diss it too much. So for um, for trips like that next week, do you bring a filmer? Do you plan on documenting any of that? Or how does it work nowadays? Um, I wouldn't, like... Well, it depends. Well, funny enough. Um, well, obviously, we're shooting season two of The 100 Foot Wave, aren't we? So it's been okay. given season two. So I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah, no. So yeah, it has been. It's been given a season two. So we will be filming um, at, at points, uh, but usually no. I just go surf. Like, you know, I want, yeah, just go surf. Um, can you tell me about the early days at Mullockmore? And I mean, it just looks so ominous and treacherous that it's almost hard to imagine going there. And if there isn't already a crew, kind of showing you the ropes. I can't imagine mm. paddling out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, like, again, I think it was a time where I, I think I was really fortunate to, to be in that time. And, 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 and I didn't sort of realize um, how, what potential the wave had. Um, it, my, so Al Many, who obviously is in the documentary, um, I did a trip with him to Madeira uh, to, to surf Jardin de Mar. We were there for a month um, and the waves were pretty average. And it was in that trip that he was like, okay, right. Like Ireland's waves are way, way better than Madeira. Like we, like, I don't know what we're doing. You know, so we, so we had that conversation and when we got back, he, he said, I'll phone you basically. As soon as the next chart looks good, I'll phone you and you can come over. And with it, within like, a week of being back in the UK, he phoned and I headed over. And 
yeah, it was like that. There was like Richie, a guy called Richie Fitzgerald who who um, has owns a surf shop in Bundoran, and a guy called Gabe Davis had towed it a bit before with actually the Malloy brothers, I think. Yeah. Um, so they'd surfed it a bit before, but we, you know, and you know, it was like so it was already like a spot, you know, like people have been surfing it. Um, but when we were there, it was just like there's there's no one about. It's cold. You know, I think we paddled it a couple of times first, but we were paddling it on a higher tide. But now when the guys surf it, they, they, there's a period at like a low tide where you can just like paddle in just before it goes absolutely square on the slab um, and get crazy runners. And when it's really big, you can tow it. So it's a kind of a low tide spot. But at that then, like, it, I, like, I didn't want to go near it at low tide. It looked like death. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It looked like... Like, what the hell and um so yeah we paddled a couple of times on like a mid-tide and then we started trying to tow it and um but it was just it was tough we like because we, we didn't really know like we we had this jet ski we didn't know how long the rope should be we didn't have a sled you know like all the basic things that because like, we had no one to teach us or no one to tell us, like so we yeah. just went and bought we went and bought a water ski rope, you know, <laughs> like right. it was like seventy foot long, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's just like so, and yeah, we just try to just try to do it. And we had a friend um, who was at Plymouth University of um, like arts and um, like, uh, and he was you know he was in film, was studying film, and he was sort of documenting it as we were doing it. And we were sort of just making it all up and we had some horrific, horrific, like, situations. You know, like, I can't believe, like, now, like, looking back, it's, like, loose. Like, I can't believe we got away with some of the stuff, you know, like. The one that they show in the documentary about the jet ski going over the falls, was that mm. the gnarliest? Uh, that was definitely, yeah, that was up there with the, the gnarliest. Uh, but we, you know, like, we'd done... And that was that was a bad day, you know. And and I'll tell you what, like that it was absolutely pumping, you know, like that whole bay. There's so many good waves in in Ireland, you know. And, and yeah, it was it was pumping that day and, and there's no one about, you know, like whereas it does it's not like that anymore. Like when Ireland's good now, like it's it's busy. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, like yeah, in comparison, you know, I suppose. Right. Um but but yeah. Yeah, that, that was a pretty, that was a bad day, you know, and that, and that was like looking back, it was just inexperience in my part totally. and, and just making it up and not really knowing what I was doing. And Well, that's, I mean, how else do you learn? I, I, I mean, one of the things that I was amazed by too, is you said in the 100 foot wave that you and Al would watch videos on YouTube to learn how to toe surf. And that yeah. just blows my mind, you know, because it's not like they're tutorial videos on YouTube. It's just maybe you catch a glimpse of the way that somebody does something, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I suppose it's just getting, and it, and it is, it, you know, and I think that's the thing that, the, and, and that was like, it took me, like, back in those days, Al used to, Al was, used to get me some really good waves, you know, like, and it was always like, it was always me. Oh, I think I was quite slow on the uptake of actually trying to learn to drive the ski, obviously. Hence oh, the, okay. You know, so it's kind of, must've been quite frustrating for him. So I never really, you know, it's, it's actually harder 
towing like driving a ski than people think you know like for sure to get you know like especially when it's yeah trying to position yourself and you know and, and so and you're not when you haven't got the right length ropes and you know the rescue you know you haven't got a sled so it's hard to rescue and you know all that sort of stuff you know it's just like and there's and there's no one else there no one else was there with us so when you have like a second ski or a second team you can almost like line up off each other yeah you know like someone's in the spot or and we never really had that not in those first few years you know so well yeah that mulligmore i'm amazed or just also glad that you guys have footage of some of that stuff like to catch that one wipeout with a ski going over it's like man that's a oh, you, you, such a treacherous you, moment and you wouldn't believe it would you if like you said oh yeah like no, no like, and, no. and do you know what like the funny like so i i came up after that wipeout and i was like oh like i've really blown it here and i can remember sorting out all the all the rope because the, the ski was just like wrapped in like 70 feet of water ski blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so i sorted all the rope out and um and it was howling offshore and i was actually relatively close to to um to the harbor like there at Mullinmore. and i was like oh right, this is going to be a breeze you know like i can just literally backstroke the, the ski in you know because it wouldn't start so I sorted all the rope out, started backstroking, and then um, and I can remember like stopping after like ten minutes and turning around, and I was like probably like half a mile out to sea, and I was just like, oh, like, this isn't going to go well. Carried on backstroking, and um, in like another five minutes, I was about a mile out to sea. I was like, oh, like you know. And then I was like turning around, I was thinking, well, where can I go from here with the wind? But the only like the way the bay is like 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 if I was going to go with the wind, I'd have been in America. You know, it's like, wow. it's like that that sort of thing. And um, the helicopter, someone called the helicopter. The helicopter came, and the guy went down, and he was like, "Do do you you know you're going to get on?" And I was like, "Well, can we take ski?" He's like, "No, we can't take a ski, and there's no boats in the area. The ski's gone. You're going to have to just like you have to leave the ski." And I said, "Well, I'm not leaving the ski." And he's like, okay, no worries. And then he just winched up and they flew off. <laughs> and I was just like, and I, like, and I was like, okay. I was like, shit, that could have been a, re- like, you know, then I was like, that was a really bad idea. I sort of panicking there and I was thinking, oh no, like I've sent them away. And then they came back about 10 minutes later, five minutes later. And they're like, look, you've made no headway. You're going even further out to sea. You either get in, in the helicopter now and leave the ski. Um, or, or you, you are going to be in America, like that. You, you're not, you're not getting back. And I was like, okay, right. And then that was it. Ski's gone. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. But it's just worried about the. <laughs> what? It was a good view in the helicopter there. Like I saw some sick waves. Like, <laughs> like it was pretty sick. So yeah. Man, that's a. You don't get a lot of second chances like that. That's gnarly. Yeah. Um. Why do you think that that wave hasn't been more? uh exploited by traveling professionals i think it has you know like you think um, so? yeah i think you know you know like um well maybe it hasn't i don't know i mean i could i, I, I could name i can name five surf trips that i can like nick von rupp did a thing there you know there's like a couple but yeah. i would venture to say that like the top 20 most well-known kind of guys that's not on their destination list, you know? No, well, it, it's it's cold. It's hard to score as in like, um, 
Ireland is it's the sort of place to score if you go to Ireland for a month. Like whenever it looks really gotcha. good, you fly there and it's never very good. Yeah, because the, the weather patterns and the storms, like they don't, it's not like as you go lower down in Europe, it's a bit more stable. You, yeah. you know, like so it's easier to predict and you know, and still even in Portugal, like um the winds can be, you know, they change a lot. But Ireland, they change all the time. So often the best days I've had in Ireland are never the days I've gone to surf. So you fly to Ireland, we drive to Ireland, you go for the day, like it's usually like the day before or two days after where you get your way. <laughs> like the day that looks like like the day of days can often be like really windy or the swell's not quite right direction. And, you know, it is, it's, it's a tough place to, to predict like that. And that, but that's why, you know, that's why the, the locals score it good a lot, you know? Um, yeah. And so you've got to put time in and, 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 you know, when we did, and, you know, I spent a lot of winters there, um, you know, like around 2008 to 2011, maybe like, um, we used to just rent a, a cottage in, in Bundoran and, and, yeah, we got some really fun ways, you know, yeah. but it's, it, but it's never, it is never the days that, that you, you expect. It's always like, you know, which is great, which I think, you know, it's, it's what, that's what surfing is about, isn't it? It's not well, always what, about like, reading the forecast and just flying in for a day. Yeah. And flying in that, <laughs> like, that's what 100% of surf travel was like up until 15 and 20 years ago, you would go somewhere yeah. for a month, camp out and just kind of pick the eyes out of it. And so now, obviously, you just, I think you're right for profession, for Nathan Florence, let's say it's like yeah. a very targeted strike and there's a 48 hour window that he's going to get it at. And then he's going to bail and do it again somewhere else. Yeah. 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 So, so you have got, yeah, 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 exactly. Like with Kai and stuff like that. And those are the top, top big wave guys, you know, like, yeah, it's going to be a tough one for them to, to and it's cold. So like, yeah. it's probably not, you know, not on the top of their wish list. Um, that's true but it's so spe the visuals are so stunning that i mean for for their youtube channels it would be amazing yeah you know? I, and i and i would love to see those guys guys there on the best days and see you know how they approach it like you know like you, all you got to do is just like look at that way that conor mcguire got last last year like last october oh you know how ridiculous ridiculously big and ridiculously hollow that thing is you know like yeah um, you know, and, you know, Connor's one of the one of the one of the top guys, local guys out there, and um, you know, but yeah, you know, it is it is one. I I I think it is the best big wave in Europe, maybe the it world. Really? Like, yeah, you know, it's just so. It just on its day, it just it's so heavy and gnarly, and it bends and it like put boils in it, and I don't know. You're absolutely right. As you're saying it, I'm first of all frothing to go, but secondly, I'm remembering some of that footage, and it's like there really is nothing that compares to it. That the paddle wave that Tom Lowe got, yeah, you know, like you know, like again, like that there has been. You miss, we're missing or forgetting like sections of like you know, like the Mickey Smith, Fergal Smith, Tom Lowe. You know, like I don't know if you remember that they, yeah, there's a Towers of Three. They got a, a mullet more section in that. It's like what? They're towing yeah. like twenty foot mullet, super like like groundbreaking, you know. Like, right. um, 
you know, leading the way. And, and it, is, it is a sick way. It is, and it, you know, I, I think it is. And, and, and it kind of like, it's always, it's always, you know, like as my um, surf career, <laughs> as it, sounds like a bit of a joke, but uh, yeah, as, um, you know, my surf career sort of bit me more focused on in Portugal, like, you know, it is one of the places that I miss the most, you know, like, Ireland and Mulletmore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mental. I love it. I was actually, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, cause I did want to talk about various big waves in the world. Nazare, um, and how they compare to Nazare essentially. So it's easy for all the pundits who've never surfed it to be like, Oh, Nazare is a, it's a mushy wave. There's parts of it look easier right? Like if I was going to get towed into a wave with no experience, maybe Nazare would be kind of the easiest option. I could stay out on the shoulder. Yeah. It looks easier in certain ways, but it looks harder in certain ways as well. Um, because as with any kind of softer wave where there's flat spots, there's going to be spots that aren't projecting you forward. And then maybe there's whitewash that comes down. And so you can't quite get around it. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts can you speak to the quality of it as a wave, just as a wave? And how does it compare to, I mean, is it gnarlier it's, to you than other waves? Like as a surfer, like, like, and I'm looking at thinking about quality. So as you know, as a surfer, we think about, okay, right. Well, you think about barrels really, don't you? Like, can I get yeah. barreled? Yeah. Like, and there are days in Nazare where you can get barreled, barreled but it's, few and far between and they're super it's super gnarly like because they it flares and it like and then they clamp you know like it flares open and yeah. it just like clamps shut so it, they're hard they're hard to, to, it's hard to get barreled at that and so yeah like i think there's so many better big ways which you know like you know just in in europe you know but and it's bumpy and it's hard and it's tough. It is tough to surf and it's tough to surf good. Like, yeah, you know, um, but it just gets massive, doesn't it? It just gets, you know, and you, and those walls of water and, it, and it's very visual. Um, so I kind of think um, that as a surfer, like, like it doesn't really like stoke me out like massively, like, but it's a great place to train. Yeah. So not only just like surfing, but fitness and driving the ski. So I think it's really important for me for my training. Um, and it, it's, it gets, it's, you know, it's like, gets the, you know, it's created a career for me, for me, it's created a career for me, you know, and you, and you, without a doubt, like you can argue all you want about how you measure a wave, which, you know, still no one really knows, but um, like, it is without doubt the biggest wave in the world. Isn't it? <laughs> it's got to be in there. Like, but the, the the amount of water in those waves is just, and how fast they move, uh, it's just it's nuts. Yeah. But I think I'd rather I'd trade like a a fifty foot. I'd, I'd trade any day of the week. I'd trade like 40, 50 foot Nazare to, for like fifteen, twenty foot Mulletmore. You know, I'd always oh, want right. to go Mulletmore. Yeah, oh yeah, because it's just like that's you know like coming off the bottom of Mulletmore and trying to get in the barrel and seeing like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. It feels scarier too. Even the 15, 20 foot wave out there feels scarier to me than the 60 footer at Nazare. Uh, 
Yeah, but that's until you actually, like, I think the scary thing about, like, you, you pull out of a wave at, at Mullet Moor and you're in the channel and it's all good. Yeah. You pull out of a wave of your life in, in at Nazare and there could be, like, a, a, a swinging peak, you know, like, yeah. not, maybe not as big, but thicker and going sideways across, which completely yeah. can, you know, kill you. And, and then you've got to get on the back of the jet ski and you've got to put, your, you know, all your trust and your hope that the person driving the jet ski can get you back out again, you know. And I don't know, like, the whole, the whole Nazare experience can be petrifying. Yeah. Um, it feels it feels like the energy out there is all dispersed kind of around whereas Moloch more it's focused right focused. onto the reef yeah 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 yeah, yeah exactly and, and and that's to do with obviously so Nazare um it's all about the obviously the swell direction and then when it comes in from that like northwest you get that refraction then it starts like getting those big crazy teepees and the cross wedges and um, and that's when, like, you get the really, really big peaks. Right. Um, but then that's it's also when it's, like, the most gnarliest, you know, like. And driving, well, driving ski is just, like, you know, I can't I can't explain how gnarly that is. Uh, it's just, yeah. it's petrifying. Right? Well, it's obviously gnarly. You broke your back out there in 2017, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about that, that experience? Um. I just, uh, I just, you know, do you know what? Like, I kind of, I kind of cooped it really. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was well, actually going to be part of my question. Was in hindsight, was it avoidable, or what would you have done yeah, differently in like, that moment? Like, so I just, I just, I've been that summer. I've been in West Oz, and I'd surf the right and the left down there, and, and I, when I, and I don't know. I was just like, I was in like sort of slab mode and. And when I and I went when that wave came through, when I checked the waves that morning, I saw some crazy left-hand barrels. And then when I got towed into that wave, I was like, "Okay, what well, this is about?" And I just went straight to, and I faded, 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 and went straight to the bottom. Yeah, but the, but with unlike like a slab, like obviously you get to the bottom and then it goes really vertical, so you just skip up and you you know you're back in the transition and you can get speed again. Like Nazare, the last third of the wave is like slopey, really slopey. So you kind of, it's hard to, like, you know, we're talking about how hard waves are to surf, like, you know, you know, like, I just was in that, the wrong third of the wave, you know, yeah. like, if I wanted to be back at barrel, I should have come super high and deep and then came and then come in like a different line, whereas I like, yeah. went to the bottom and then tried to pull in, yeah. whereas like, you know, but, yeah, you learn the hard way, I suppose. <laughs> like, so what happened? You know, I just like lost speed and then the wave like hit this weird backwash it went from looking like it was going to go inside out to like sort of like doing that weird mid-face clampy thing and running real long and um and I knew like like the second I was at the bottom I knew like okay right this thing isn't going to barrel like I thought it was going to barrel and I'm like in the, the, the shittest part of the wave I could possibly be like too high to straighten out and not high enough to be in the pit so like, I just like missing aborted like just jumped off my board and um the wave I was expecting to get like a, a lip to the head or to, to the body and just be like like you know a, a huge impact to the body 
but it was kind of um, the wave, the lip pitch, and it hit just literally as I jumped off my board, it landed under me, mm. like literally right under me, and then pushed me, ejected mm-hmm. me out. So like I'm like, oh, this is going to be painful, you know, nothing, nothing. And then I was like, well, this is weird. Like, I feel like I'm, I actually thought that, the lip came over me and I was, you know, when you sometimes get that weightlessness when you get sucked over the falls on the inside, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, this is weird. I must've be in the barrel. And I was like, shit, I shouldn't have jumped off. I should have just carried on riding. And, um, and then I was like, not hitting, not hitting, huh? Like still not hitting. Like what? And then it was like, bam. And then, and then I was just like, yeah, like broken back. Like I'd have hit the flats, you know, and, and that, getting projected out, hitting the flats. And I knew, and I was like, okay. I'll you knew step. instantly? Yeah, yeah, I knew. Like, it was just like, ah, oh, like, that's that, that's me out for the rest of the day, like, without a doubt. And the biggest the, the biggest regret with that is that I think big wave surfing, or any surfing, actually, is about, it's about timing and about being in flow with the ocean. Totally. And that's... And, and the swell was, and I think big wave surfing is actually more important because you're putting a lot more on the line. And I was well aware that the swell was getting bigger and and it was only like 10.30 in the morning. And I was like, like we've got a whole rest of a day to surf and the waves are only going to get bigger. And, I, and I've like injured myself, at, you know, so early on. Like, I, I, and I thought sort of was obviously disappointing for myself, but obviously then you ruin, you, you, you know, everyone else's day because they're there, you know, like, like, you know, who I was surfing with, Garrett and Hugo, and, you know, you ruin, you know, that they, they, they're not going to be going back out after that, you know. Like, um, so, yeah, I was kind of good. But because that was the same day that Rodrigo got the the world record wave. So yeah. that afternoon, I think he got his world record wave. So yeah. It's fascinating. That was a great retelling of that story. And it's relatable. There's certain little moments that are relatable, like the context of coming off of surfing slabs. So you are going to impose kind of what you think and what you know on this wave that's coming to you without really assessing what the wave is doing. And yeah. towards towards the end, you saying that kind of the best surfing is when you're in flow and connected to the moment. And yeah, you're drawing off of the energy from the experience from surfing the slabs, but you're not actively thinking about it. You know, what you're really actively doing is being in the moment and then just using that experience. And so, yeah, there was a little misconnection there and you tried to impose what you were doing on that wave. And that wave was like, nope, not going to do it. No. And, and you you know, you, you, you know, you pay. Yeah, like it's just lesson learned, isn't it? You know, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Brutal, Some brutal, are more man. more painful than others. So, yeah. Talk. Let's talk about the quote-unquote career. Yeah. How uh, how important <clears throat> is the concept of a big wave world tour to your career? And I know that we haven't really seen like a fully formed version, but do we need one? You know, does does having a world a big wave world tour legitimize the sport? Would it increase your yearly income? Like, do sponsors care about that sort of thing? What are your thoughts on a big wave world tour? Uh, such, such a good question. And I, I think it it's kind of um, so. I think I think it gives everyone something to aim for. And and yeah, so I think you do kind of need one. But like, how, how the, the the hard thing 
about the big wave world tour was it's like how do you really get on it <laughs> like, <laughs> like, i always like battled that i was just like um and that was always the thing for me like yeah you, you got to go and charge at every spot around the world when it's pumping like the, the, how much does that cost to do that like impossible it's like so but I think it does push, like it definitely pushes surfing and it motivates people and, and it does like, because the first thing that sponsors ask or like a brand will ask is, you know, like, oh, you know, even now, like, oh, so you're, you're competing. And I'm like, mm, no, no, no. Well, there's no sort of competitions or, you know, oh, well, no, you know, I don't know. But I think it, I think it kind of, I think it is kind of good. Why has um, the WSL struggled to pull it off? I don't know if they've struggled. It's just like, have they really wanted to pull it off? <laughs> like, you know, because it, it must well, have you would, got... You would think that they would want to, considered that, considering that they've bought it and made efforts at it. Well, well yeah, but I suppose that they, they were so invested in more in the CT, I suppose, and, that, and those sort of things. I don't know. Like, it must be the cost to, to put the tour on, you know, and it's not like the, the CT... The CT, I suppose, where you have the dates and the, the, the periods, which are usually like two weeks, 10 days are there, and you can usually get some like relatively surfable conditions in those two weeks where, you know, you're waiting for like the periods of six months, you know, and, and you're making the call like a day before, or two days before, you know, um, which just makes, you know, the logistics and how you put that together, you know, it must be a nightmare for them you know, and, how, yeah. and how you live stream that and how you put those live live stream events together within like with two days notice right except except that's what they do for a living that's their explicit yeah. like yeah. like i i agree yeah it'd be a nightmare for me to do because i don't do that but i mean it's it's like why would they buy the tour and commit to doing it if they're not going to actually devote some resources to doing it effectively and i know ultimately i think you're totally right it's they they're trying to do too many things at one time. And it you can't just take some of your CT staffers and be like, hey, also you're gonna be focused on trying to make this event happen when it the right when the swell comes, because everybody's spread too thin. It's like yeah. you would really need to create a you know five, 10 year business plan and be like, we're gonna hire these people full-time salaries that are gonna commit their life to doing this thing correctly. And that's gonna, it's gonna be a tremendous amount of energy and resource suck but there's only you either do it right or you don't do it at all like i don't i don't understand the idea of like trying to do it and then letting it flounder and everybody complains you know but but has it ever floundered though because like i'd love to know um and it's probably the figures are probably out there it's just um you know like so the views on like say the jaws contest that you know compared to um like a ct event you know like and, and you know, you know. Obviously, I, I'm interested in the Jaws event, so I would definitely watch the, the Jaws event over a normal CT event. But you know, is it is it getting more views? You know, are more people interested in it? You know, it, it, is it more interesting to people that don't really surf or don't follow competition surfing? Are they more likely to work, watch a big wave contest? You know, um. So yeah, it'd be interesting to know those sort of stats. But but also like, I. I from a actual competitor, I'm, I'm sort of falling down the route 
Whereas, is, is big wave surfing supposed to be put into 40 minute heats? That was the heart of the question I was kind of getting at with the, do we need a big wave world tour? I feel like it's almost forcing. Yeah, a I think square it's forcing. And, and as a competitor, like, and I've done it, and I've no, obviously, again, I've never done very well, but, um, but you sort of, you're making, and even for the toe thing, you know, like, you know, the, like, are you forcing people, like, people to really make life or death situation, uh, to choices, decisions quickly? and put an extra pressure on when there's not really any need, you, you know, like, um, and is it just an excuse for some car crash TV sort of stuff, you know, like, yeah. and get some views to, you know, and so I'm kind of like, but, but don't get me wrong. Like if, if there's any big wave competition, like obviously I want to do it because I, I want to compete and I want to be, you know, at the forefront of it and I want to push myself. And I think it's a great, it's a great way to promote the, the sport. Um, but at the same time, I'm always I'm kind of in the back of my head, like, mm, is, is big wave surfing supposed to really be like this, you know, like in a heat for like 40 minutes, you know, <laughs> like trying to get two waves in 40 minutes. Like, like, I don't know, like you can, you can spend when the waves are big at Nazareth, I can spend all day and then they get one wave, you know, like, you, you yeah. know, why do I want to get two in an hour? you know, or right. two and 40 minutes, like, um, so yeah, there's a lot of, and then you've got to, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's such, it's so tough. It really is. And the idea of creating a tour complicates it further, but I feel like there is probably a way to successfully do exhibition events. Um, the Jaws, a couple of Jaws events, I think have been really successful. I think, the Red Bull Cape Fear event. Oh, that was, yeah, insane, yeah. It's insane, you know? But it is more um, because of the way, yeah, the kind of way that wave breaks and how, you know, close it is and how frequent and all that sort of stuff, you can get multiple waves in one hour or whatever the time allotment is. Yeah, yeah. But it depends on the format. Like, you know, with the paddock, when they're, when they're doing... Um, you know, the Nazareth paddle events, like getting two waves in, in an hour paddling is really tough. Totally. You know, really tough. But the towing events, like, yeah, for sure, you can get, you know, you can get a few waves in an hour then. Um, but but you are still, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're putting a different sort of pressure on the, the athletes where they might, you know, decisions are like, I don't know. Like, I don't think it needs. I don't think you need those that pressure and, and those that decision making, making that a little bit dangerous. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, um, I'm curious. Uh, what? Who are your first of all? Who are your sponsors right now? I know you've got Red Bull, right? Yeah. So, so um, been been Red Bull for for a few years now. Um, which is yeah, like like that was like the obviously like the, the golden sort of you know ticket that was when I like sort of like quit like quit my plumbing job and uh, and you know and lifeguarding and yeah when I, when I signed with them so Red Bull and then I work with um some local UK brands so Tiki wetsuits which is a, a, a wetsuit manufacturer from where I live in Braunton um 
and Salt Rock Surfwear, which again is another surfwear brand from from um, from Braunton, and um, Bretling Watches as well. So that's a good one. Yeah. What, um, so what do they expect of you, and what do you expect of them? Um, this affected me. It's, I always ask that. Well, what do you actually want? I think you know, like it's it's just to represent them in a good way, you know. And, you know, it's brand placement, product placement, um, you know. And, and I'm really fortunate, like, to work with brands with that, you know, I, I use and I, and I like, and I, you know, and, and we work together. And so, so I've always been pretty pretty lucky. Um, but yeah, just to represent them and, and use their products. It's kind of, it used to be a lot more crystal clear. Um, you need shots in magazines, maybe a profile video or whatever. Well, and then there'd be bonuses if you get a world tour, you know, whatever. But so yeah, what is it? Is it that clear now but, or is it a little more vague? I suppose, I suppose like if I was, um, you know, like if my goal was like, okay, I want to make the world tour, you know, like I think, you yeah. know, that would be okay. Right. So, you, you know, but uh, like, there is no competitions, you know, like, like, and, so for me, it's about, about being involved in projects, about, um, you know, my mission, my goal um, is always almost sort of telling, you know, I want to surf that biggest wave of the year, you know, I want to surf the biggest wave ever, you know, that's what I sort of headline. And, and I have been like, again, sort of taken a, you know, been lucky to be involved in amazing projects. So there's obviously the, the HBO 100 foot wave, but, We've been filming another project for, like, for the last five years um, called Savage Waters, which is another uh, huge production that, that I've been involved in. And that's been released this October, I think. Um, you know, so, so it is, again, like, um, you know, like, I, I, even though I'm not competing, I am, like, working on, on content, not just for Instagram or social media cannon fodder you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah you know there are there is like okay well, we're working this isn't and it's going to be like you know in in big screens or you know on netflix or whatever you know like or hbo or something like that so so you know I'm, i am working towards bigger product uh, projects you know so um, is is savage water a feature documentary uh yeah so it's um my friend i i, I did a documentary with red bull um called beneath the surface um and it's about a wave in Ireland. Um and my mate's got this this catamaran and we're sort of like we we hang out in Ireland all winter trying to score this wave um in his boat. And it was actually uh on that uh like project, um we got chatting and there was some islands in the middle of the Atlantic. Um which they have some really interesting, um, it's like it's the deepest, it's, the, it's, it's like it's unha- uninhabited islands in the Atlantic and it has the deepest to the shallowest sort of um, topography of the ocean. So it goes from I don't know, like as deep as the ocean is to, to like these like shallow little um, reefs. And we're like, whoa, like that's insane. Like, like there's got to be some sort of waves on this bit of rock. Yeah. Um, and so we decided to sail there and, and look at it, which sounds quite easy. Um, but 
bear in mind like it's in the middle of the Atlantic with there's no safe moorings no where to, it was a mission <laughs> it's yeah. like and it took us a lot of time and um yeah a lot of stuff happened uh you know on, on the on, yeah in the journey um and yeah so it's, it's just a documentary about that hang out on this boat adventuring it was good fun it was really good fun yeah. but it was hard work hard work um it seems like that relationship with your sponsors where they allow you to pursue projects like that is actually a much healthier um, and benef- probably mutually beneficial thing. It almost relates to what we we're talking about with contests, where once you put on these parameters of a contest, it actually inhibits you from being able to do what you want to do. And so to have the business relationship with the sponsors where they don't put any parameters on of this much coverage, this much, many Instagram posts, allow you to actually do meaningful work. Yeah, I, I, I suppose. Um, but that's not easy, you know, the pressure's on on you. And, and, you know, when you go into, you know, like like any contract, like, you know, if you, most of my contracts are year, year things. And like, right. if you're doing a five-year project and then like, like, so it's, it's always, oh, yes, but everyone's like, well, we've got, we haven't seen anything, like, and so you kind of like selling them a dream. You're, you're selling them your dream. They're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, but it's going to be good. <laughs> and so, so it is, you know, it is a hard sell. And, and obviously, you know, like, um, yeah, it's just your relationship and how you sort of work that and, and you work with them. And I, and I have been really fortunate, you know, like, um, but Red Bull have been amazing for me to like through the injuries I've had, you know, I, I think I, you know, they support all those injuries and help me get back to, to surf and fit. Because actually, after I broke my back um, in 2017, um, I was only surfing again for like uh, about six weeks, and I did um, I did a big wave paddle contest in Punta Galera in Spain, and um, and ruptured my ACL. Jeez. So, like, so I went from like breaking my back like it was like nine almost like a year of rehab and then seven six weeks and then acl like complete rupture um, like the luck because i was like and that like, i don't know if you know about knee surgeries but that was like that was brutal like reconstruction and then rehab um so it's almost like two years out of surfing so it wasn't you know yeah well yeah that's awesome good for them to stand by you um yeah yeah I feel, yeah yeah definitely really really fortunate do you feel i mentioned at the beginning of this conversation you're kind of soft-spoken gentle personality um do you feel that that's hindered your career in any way um i don't know yeah some, sometimes my friends were like you know you need to sort of blow your trumpet a bit more you know like be more yeah. Like, is it assertive is the right word like um you know shout about things more um i don't know like it, it doesn't it doesn't doesn't it you know it's just it's it's just you know it's part of um you know who i am and and i kind of yeah so i like yeah just like everything i'll just you know i think it's the best way to be i think for me personally yeah well it's it's sincere. It's hard to be anything other than yourself, you know? And so it would feel awkward if you started 
you know, I don't know what, being boisterous. Yeah. Or, or you know, but I don't know. I just think, you, you, like, especially with what we're doing and, and, I, and I, like, to be honest, like, like, I feel it's like a bit of a joke. Like, I feel like a bit of an imposter in a way. Like, like it's a bit of a joke. You know, like, I've managed yeah. to somehow forge this, like, big wave surfing career, you know, like, which is, yeah. doesn't, like, it doesn't even really exist, does it really? You know, like, so it's all a bit of a joke. Um, so I feel pretty fortunate anyway. Like, so I don't really need to do, to do anything apart from just like be myself and enjoy it, you know, like, yeah. and, and realize how lucky I am to even have a sponsor or to even have support from a brand who helps me go surfing. Like what? Like, right. cause it is, it's, it is a joke, isn't it? Like I'm getting supported to just go surfing. Like that's like, it's amazing. You know. It's amazing. But when there's, when there's people right around you who might be getting more acclaim or validation who maybe don't have the same accomplishments as you, well, if you, good, if you run them. that. Good. That's them. You know, that's cool. Stoke for them. You know, like everyone, you know, that's totally, that's for me, that's totally cool. You know, like, you know, like it doesn't, that doesn't, I'm just doing my thing. I'm happy, you know? Yeah. doesn't. Yeah. I love that moment. There was a moment in the documentary where I feel like maybe the filmmakers were asking you kind of about that similar thing. And you were at a restaurant and the owners of the restaurant, or maybe they were just customers, they pop their head out and they're like, Hey, we heard Garrett, we heard that big wave surfers here, Garrett McNamara, is he here? And you're sitting there being interviewed with camera staring at you. And you're like, no, Garrett just left. And they're like, darn it, darn it, we'll go look for him. Yeah, but but yeah, but that's great, isn't it? Like Garrett, but Garrett is he is the man. He deserves, you know, he deserves that, you know. Like, but you know, what I'm the, the dude from England, like you know, like it doesn't, you know. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that is great. I've got like it's got so many like like Garrett is unique and it like and I, like he's just he's just brilliant. I love him. He's just so funny. So yeah, and he gets that a lot. Like, like he can't really walk down. Uh, he walks down the street in Nazareth or in Portugal. You know, he gets recognised all the time. Everyone knows him, and you know, all knows all's heard of him. And you know, he, like, he's proper famous. You know, like, yeah. he's proper famous. Um, whereas, like, I, I don't, I don't really want that, and I don't want that. You know, like, you right. know, I'm, I don't expect to be doing what I'm doing and and surfing and. And yeah, like I, I've still, you know, I'm motivated. I'm passionate about it, and and I want to be. I want to achieve something, and I want to. I want to, you know, I want to get that wave. I want to, you know, but but I don't necessarily want the, the you know, to be recognised in, in a restaurant well, or a cafe. You know? <laughs> what's interesting is you've both gotten what you wanted. I mean, if those are your ambitions and goals, you've achieved a lot of those ambitions and goals. And I think that Garrett's goals were slightly different and so now he's reaping the benefits of all that hard work and he's hit a lot of his goals too yeah yeah I, th- you know what i've never really fit, felt that like i've really you know i think my goals have always been sort of like to like the xxl awards have always been a big focus for me and i've never really apart from like wipe out of the year which no one obviously wants wants to win like i've never actually really uh, managed to get any of those um so, so my goals have never really been hit personally. Like, yeah, I am surfing, which you know, as, as a as a career, which I can't believe. 
but I've never really hit the goals. You know, like hit never had biggest road of the year or anything like that. So, so that's still my my gunning point. You know, I'm still I still want one of those. I think. What are your? Uh, I mean, the one story that I didn't even realize was a story until hundred foot wave was the fact that you got a wave that would have potentially been a contender at Nazare and nobody got it on film. Uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, I think for me that, that they've made more of a story out of that than, than I would have made out of it, you know? Really? It was like, um, one, like Hugo and Alex just had that horrific accident. Like right. I, well, I couldn't care less if they, you know, got that way of like, you know, more concerned about my friends. And, yeah, like it probably was one of the one of the way bigger ways of the day, but like you know, it wasn't the biggest day ever at Nazareth, or it wasn't gotcha. the biggest day. You know, like it's like is what it is. Like, um, so obviously I was a little bit disappointed, but I did really didn't care that much. <laughs> like, gotcha. I was more more concerned about Alex, you know, who at that time was was unconscious um, in the shore break. You know, totally. like, and I didn't know, I didn't even know that at the time. You know, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call that a wave. If I'd known that was going on, I wouldn't have even called that wave. You know, like, right. there, there was no communication there on, or bad, not, not, not the, you know, it was all going on on the inside. And, and me and Tom were just still surfing the heat as, you know, and we're, we're, we're like, oh, it's weird. Like, why has everyone got out? Like, what, you know, as far as we knew, we still had like two minutes left to surf. So we were like, you know, but, I, you know, I wouldn't have got that wave. I wouldn't, we wouldn't have even gone for that wave if if I'd known what was going on on the inside. Because yeah. it's, it's the same thing, because I could have fallen and I could have had a bad accident and then there'd have been two of us. You know, like, totally. You know, like, so, um, so yeah. And there's every every year, every, every swell, there's always the next biggest wave. There's always going to be a bigger wave. You know, it's just, it's just news. It's, it's, Instagram fodder or whatever you want to put, you know, like it's, you know, it's the next claim. You know? So um, there'll always be bigger ways for sure. Um, so let's talk about that. You are, are you 38? <laughs> when I, 42. Oh, are you really? I yeah. thought you were born in 82. No, no, no. I was born in 79. Oh, my mistake. Um, yeah. Well, the question is how much longer can you, continue to do what you're doing and do you have a wife do you have kids um no well, i have two kids okay um how old are they um nine and 13 okay so um, how long do you feel responsible you know doing what you're or do you feel that you're active and fit enough and all that sort of stuff yeah i feel i feel really you know really i feel really good and fit i feel like like that the the fittest the most focused I've been you know in probably ever like especially like that like last 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 two two years three years I felt really good you know and um and for me but you know I, I don't think you ever give up surfing or like you know like you know retire from surfing do you know it's something that you're always gonna do but um uh um but you know, I think I'll just go until I either you get that wave, or you know, or I, I, I just go until I think you just know. You know, like 
one day you just think, oh, like I don't really want it, but I still want it. You know, if you, I think if you still want it, like you just got to keep going. Otherwise, you're just going to be disappointed in yourself or regret. Like, because maybe in six more years' time, I won't be physically fit enough to do it. You know, and, and then I'll be like, oh, I should have, you know, I shouldn't have quit early. Or I still, you know, felt good. Like, um, you know, like it, and it is like you, you look. You know, Ross Clark Jones was still surfing Nazare, like you know, two years ago. I don't know how Ross, how, how old was Ross? Like it was probably in his fifties. Yeah, and absolutely charging, like taking the most ridiculous lines, like like he does. You know, like, and you're like, why? Like, I can still definitely. Why? There's no reason why you can't do that in two fifty. You know. Well, it or, seems or like more. You, it, yeah, it seems like um, your experience in your mind and all of that actually allows you to mitigate a lot of the risk and the danger, and you end up probably not wiping out as much at that yeah. age, but you're subject to injury is ultimately what it comes down to. Yeah. Like, like, you know, you, you're not, I think you just have to choose your moments. Um, and you're not getting, you're not doing, you, you know, you're not going all day, day, right. like for days on end, back to back, you know, right. you might be out there, you might be involved, you might like do safety or stuff, but, um, you know, you, the times you're surfing or on the rope are probably going to be less but more focused on like okay right i want i think that the wave's going to be biggest or the, or the best in this hour like this is when i want to be on the rope you know and i want to get my 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 fill here and then i can just do safety or drive the ski for the rest of the day you know and, um so yeah you become more targeted you know more goal driven like or or know what you want um rather than just surfing all day every day right you know? yeah what are you doing in terms of fitness and diet to uh, extend your longevity? Um, like I, I train a lot, um, but it's all stuff I love. I love I cycle a lot, do sw I swim. Um, uh, I do like, uh, you know, um, you know, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I do like a weights programs, you know, keep, keep sort of strong and, and mobile. Um, you like anyone now, like, like every, every, like, again, that's like, you know, 15 years ago, no one really sort of, like, did anyone train so, who surfed? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, but now, like, everyone does. Like, yeah. So, so yeah. But for me, fitness is fun. So I enjoy all that stuff and I like to keep fit. Um, but, uh, but I, yeah, I don't eat meat. I'm, I'm sort of, vegetarian straight vegan i try not to eat too much cow product you know how long um, have you been doing that uh so more specifically like i've, I've, I've never eaten that much meat but i haven't really eaten, i haven't eaten any meat for nearly a year including so, fish uh, no fish no um and i haven't eaten, haven't been drinking milk for years and um but i do eat cheese and eggs um so yeah i, I just I, I like i i feel that that does make you feel a little bit better right you know in um, in what ways what have you felt specifically um less tired like when i was um when i usually like i'd not eat that much meat uh, in the uk and then i go to portugal and i'd start eating like quite a lot of pork or stuff like that and then like you stop feeling tired and a bit like slow and sluggish and i found 
that by giving up meat completely, like like I just felt a bit more lively, you know. Interesting. Um, and and I think like there's loads of health benefits, but also the environment. You know, like if you want to really like you know you, the environmental benefits as well to try and cut down that sort of stuff. I think yeah. it's sort of a win-win, you know. Um, but yeah. What about uh, sugar and or alcohol? Uh, so I'm about I I I'm a sucker for sugar sweets. <laughs> um you know so yeah like i can't say i I don't cut that out you know i I do i do use sugar a lot um alcohol um i can like i've gone through periods of my life where i've drunk like a lot and then but the last two three years i've barely drank at all like almost never yeah um so and and again that's for me it was just like choices like um yeah, you know, like I just need to cut this out. Like it helps me again. I feel so much better for it. Like even yeah. one beer, like makes you feel a bit fuzzy headed the next day and not as motivated. And so I just found it easier just to completely do do nothing. You know, so um, good. With the with the not eating any meat, do you notice any reduction in your muscle mass? Um, I don't think I do. No, but I've never yeah. been like like that. Like, um, I've never been that muscly anyway. So it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe but, not mass, but like it, just in terms of strength. Do you feel you're saying you feel more energy, but do you feel any less strength? Nah, like, like okay. what I want to do, like, and I think, you know, like, like, like I can go pretty much like I can be on the rope for you know toe surfing or in the sea being active all day if I need to be, you know, and, and it's the same like for training, like when I'm on the bike, um, you know, I can, I can put some bigger, you know, and it doesn't. Okay, good. doesn't make any difference. Good. Um, do your kids have any interest in surfing or what's their, what's their program? Um, yeah, no, like, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, they both take it or leave it, you know, Okay. Um, honey's like really sporty and loves really really into swimming and and stuff by saving and and um uh you know but she'll take a leave surfing and she can surf for sure but um you know it's just no real sort of passion to, to follow it and um and ace who's younger again like he can surf but it kind of like he does, he's not that like he's not not stoked by it you know like um i've just like this this summer like i've had him out on the ski like um like wakeboarding a little bit which he's he's shown a bit more interested in and i've towed him into a few little waves at the local beachy um but again like he's like he'll take it or leave it you know he's he's into football he's into his xbox and that's what he's into so um now that you're i mean for the last decade at least you've been really committed to big wave surfing do you still enjoy going down and surfing little three foot beach break around your house? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it may, it may, sometimes it makes those days even more enjoyable. Um, do you, do you shortboard? Yeah. Shortboard. Yeah. 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 Still shortboard, you know, Good still, for you. yeah. Trying to, trying to mix it up, you know, to 
Um, but I did, I did buy mid length, mid length for this this year. You know, welcome to the dark um, side. Yeah, yeah. But I, I still, yeah. When the waves are good, when the waves are good, I still like. I'd rather short walk. Uh, I'd rather yeah. do trying to turns and and sort of surf performance. You know, surfing when when the waves are small and a bit weak. Like I'm not going to grovel surf, which I probably would have done. Like all from my thirties, like you know, like try to try to surf a short board, but yeah. really badly. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, like that's out the window now over that. Yeah. Like, um, so I ride a long board or ride my mid length. And when the weather's good, I ride a short board. Who do you get boards from? Um, so my, my, my big wave toe boards are from Org, um, with uh, the Dylan long bottom models, or the Dylan models. Um, but I also get loads of boards from a guy called Rob, Rob Vaughan, who shapes in France. He's, he's yep. actually an English guy, he, he shapes in Hossegor. Um, uh, for Bitterbong. Um so they they've been my sort of my main two sort of board sort of go to. And I used to get, I've also had some really good rusties as well over the years. Um, and it actually, it's amazing. Rusty did me some uh, really good uh, paddle guns, and it, and that, this is what I love about like that surfboards now. Like so, he designed them in obviously San Diego. He sent the files to a factory in Newquay who shaped them, you know, like, like so, so he designed them, they print them out here and then, you know, so they're rusties, shamed by rusty, but classed and made here in the UK. So yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm glad that we got our time sorted out because this was awesome. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks for the chat. That's good. Gladly. And I'm also thrilled to hear about the second season of 100 foot wave yeah no it should be good like um i'm excited but like i'm not like it you know for me it's just it's just it doesn't change anything you know like you just it's like yeah it's gonna be filming but it's just again it's just like going surfing and having fun so. <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad that you have that outlook my perspective on it is it changes everything like with without them you can't keep funding this thing to continue yes, to do true. it for the yeah, next yeah, 10 yeah. years the, yeah, yeah if they do this then that means you can keep doing that for the next yeah. 10 years yes you're, you're totally totally right and um yeah so so well hopefully there'll be like loads more seasons then i can do this exactly right. And then it'll be the 200 foot wave that you're chasing. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thanks so much, Andrew. No, thank you. And it's great to chat. And um, yeah, I'll catch you soon. Huge thanks to Andrew and, of course, to listener Ian Blake for making this conversation happen. That was super cool of you. And I also appreciate your diligence to make this happen, too. 
Um, you can follow Andrew on his website, andrewcotton.co.uk. And of course, on Instagram, I will link to that on uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com. It's on Instagram, it's Andrew underscore Cotty, but I'll link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. As well as footage, of course, of all of the things that Andrew and I discussed in today's show. There's a comment section at the bottom of the page, so feel free to leave a comment for Andrew there. I will ensure that he sees that. And uh, I'm psyched, I'm thrilled to hear about 100 Foot Waves Season 2, so I will definitely be watching whenever that becomes available. And of course, I'll keep you clued in on when that's actually going to be airing. Sure, it'll be a year or two from now, but lots to come in the meantime, and I'm sure you can follow the process by following Andrew on his socials. All right, uh, lots going on this week in surf. Um, Scott Bass and I recorded an episode of Spit that published yesterday, I believe. And then Chaz and I are going to be publishing an episode of The Grit tomorrow. The WSL Finals Day event, the experimental Finals Day format and event will be taking place at Lowers before you hear my voice next. Um, And in fact, I don't know if I should tease this or not, but Beach Grit, is going to be doing a shadow cast of the event. So if you want to listen to an alternative commentary, Derek Riley, myself, and Chaz Smith will be getting together to record that live during the Trestles event. So it's looking like it's going to be running on Sunday or Monday. We've cleared our schedules for those days. And um, Chaz and I will be in his backyard imbibing. And then Derek will be across the world in Australia. And it will all be connected, hopefully seamlessly, over the internet and uh, we'll be enjoying commentating that event so join us it'll be on beachgrit.com presuming that it actually all comes together we're putting the tech in somebody else's hands so we'll see how that all goes but whether there or not i'll be back here next week with an all-new episode of surf splendor so my name is david scale saying thanks for listening i wish you well and i encourage you to get back into the ocean share a couple of waves and of course shred on